And uh, if you've got a Bible, do you turn to uh, Matthew chapter 17? Wonderful, thank you. So we're in Matthew chapter 17 this morning. It's on page 984 in the um, Chapel Bibles. Uh, if you're, <coughs> excuse me, if you're reading from home, we're, uh, we use the New International Version, if you want to follow along. And uh, we're in a sort of uh, series at the moment uh, in the weeks of Lent up to Easter, thinking about um, encounters that... Um, uh, uh, encounters that uh, people had with Jesus and how that changed and transformed their lives. And uh, this morning we're thinking about uh, Peter, James and John, but we're also going to be a continuation of last Sunday's sermon. If you listen to that, we were thinking last Sunday of the calling of the first disciples and Simon Peter was there on that occasion. So uh, I'm going to read this passage, but we are going to recap a bit. And um, So uh, let me read Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognise him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. A word of prayer before we continue. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. May all our hearts and minds be open and attentive to hear your voice and to learn from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I say, we're we're in this short series looking at uh, encounters with Jesus and how people's lives were changed. And uh, I want to go back and just recap a little bit, because what I want to do is is sort of trace the the sort of journey of discipleship that uh, the first disciples were led on from the time that they met Jesus and how he called them and how that changed them and how they discovered more and more of who Jesus was as they continued on that journey and how it changed their lives. And one of the things that I I realise as I look back on my own journey of discipleship is I feel that I was 
I was quite poorly discipled in my early years of discovering who Jesus was and learning about him. Because uh, as uh, many of you know, my, uh, my father was a vicar. So although he died when I was a baby, I grew up I grew up going to church. So really, I should have been discipled as a follower of Jesus from, you know, literally from the moment I was born. I was going to, you know, I've been going to church since before I was born. Uh, So I should have been discipled uh, very, very well. But I look back and realise, actually, I don't think I was very well discipled. Uh, As I was growing up, I didn't learn that as a follower of Jesus, I should be learning to do the things that, that Jesus did. My, my memory of Sunday school is uh, sitting in the church vestry, uh, which was a bit warmer than, than ours is here. At the, we don't really have a vestry at the chapel. We sort of, we pray at the bottom of the stairs and there's no heating. So, was, but we had this vestry at church down in a, near, a church near Brighton. And um, I learnt a lot about Jesus. I remember him colouring in pictures of Moses. And, uh, but I don't remember being taught about how to follow Jesus. Uh, I learnt about how to try and be good and live a good life. And, uh, and even when I became a Christian at the age of 17, in my sort of discipleship after that, I don't remember very much about learning to live a life that looked like Jesus, other than in kind of moral terms. It was about, well, you've got to you know, live a good life and live a, live a holy life and, and tell other people the good news of Jesus. That was the other thing that I, that I learned. But when I read the Gospels and I see how Jesus discipled those that he called alongside him, it kind of looks different. So what I want to do is just briefly sort of trace their journey, of, and particularly Simon, Simon Peter's journey of discipleship, and how he was changed, and how he gets to this point of uh, Matthew chapter 17, and seeing Jesus in all his glory, and how that changed him, but also how, how it didn't change him. And we'll think about that in a moment when we, when we get to it. So just to recap a little bit of where we were before, uh, last Sunday, we started in Matthew chapter 4, the calling of the first disciples. So Jesus has started uh, teaching and preaching and uh, there's a buzz. There's a buzz about him. He's teaching with authority. He's teaching things which are very radical and he's doing things which, which draw a crowd because uh, his message is um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that caused excitement because what the first uh, disciples, Simon and uh, Uh, And the others, when they heard that, what they had in mind when they heard that, this idea of the kingdom of heaven coming near, they what they heard was it wasn't that we need to be saved. Because they assumed as part of God's people, they were already included. So when they heard the kingdom of heaven is near, what they were expecting was that God was going to rescue them as the people of God, that the Messiah was going to come, this great king like King David of the Old Testament. He was going to come, he was going to be a warrior king who was going to raise an army and who was going to lead a rebellion against uh, the uh, Roman occupying forces, that God was going to step decisively into history. Uh, He was going to raise up this Messiah and he was going to defeat all the pagan Gentile nations around Israel, which is why they're very excited and why they're very pleased to follow him, because they think they're going to be sitting at his, they're going to be his kind of cabinet in this new kingdom. 
They're going to be his cabinet as he reigns victorious, reigns gloriously. Uh, and I think that's partly why they, they agree to follow him so readily, because that's what they're expecting. It's all going to be wonderful. It's all going to be glorious. All their enemies are going to be defeated and they're going to be at Jesus's right hand. And that's why they start to follow him, because they want to be part of that. And they discover in their following that actually it's going to start, it's going to look quite different from that. But as they start to follow him, what do they do? They, they listen to him. They hear what he says and they watch what he does. And uh, last Sunday we read those verses from uh, the end of Matthew 4, uh, which is a description of Jesus' ministry. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's what, that's what Jesus does. And that's why Jesus always has a crowd of people around him, because what he says sounds like good news and what he does looks like good news. And that's what they learn as they live alongside him. This is what uh, Jesus does. And when you read through the next few chapters of Matthew's gospel, uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 and continuing, uh, that's, what they, that's what they hear. This is what Jesus does. And his teaching is very radical and very challenging. And what he does is very dramatic because uh, those who are demonised are set free and the sick are healed and the, the lepers are healed and those on the margins of society are, are welcomed in. The lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they're all welcomed into this radical new community. And as they go along, they begin to, they kind of think, well, well who is, who is this Jesus? Because at the beginning, they don't really understand who he is. They're just fascinated by him. And it's on the journey that they begin to discover who he is. And, um, and really, that's, that's the way it should continue to be, that people begin to think and ask questions about who Jesus is because they, they hear his teaching and they hear his stories and they see what he does. And the place that they should do that is in, you know, amongst those of us who are following Jesus, that should be the reputation of the church, that it's a place where people hear the good news of Jesus and they see the good news of Jesus. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He always does what he's always done. If Jesus healed then, he continues to heal now. There should always be this, um, uh, just this reputation around the church of being a place of good news. And the disciples, as they walk alongside Jesus, that's what they begin to discover they begin to ask questions and um, uh, they get to a point in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel just before the passage that we read this morning where there comes this point where through God's revelation Simon is the first of the disciples to fully understand that Jesus is not just uh, God's anointed he's not just a miracle worker he's not just a good teacher but he is the Son of God. He is the one that they've been waiting for. Let me just read from chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the, the, the first time that the disciples have fully understood who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one who's coming like King David of the Old Testament. And Jesus says to him, uh, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. So, so Simon Peter, they've come a long way from that first, that first moment when Jesus called them as they're, you know, they're going about their daily lives. They're fishermen, the first disciples, and Jesus calls them and says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And remember last Sunday I said, you know, Jesus meets us where we are. He meets us in our daily lives, and then he takes, he takes who we are and he takes what we are And he says, I want to take who you are and I want to repurpose the gifts and the talents that you have and use them for my glory. I'm going to use them in the kingdom of God. It was uh, lovely. We heard a testimony last Sunday of um, uh, one of the girls from YWAM just talking about this uh, love that she has discovered for for counselling and for gardening and how she just has this sense of how God is going to take those gifts and those talents and use them for his glory and uh, when I was uh, when I first became a Christian uh, the things that I that I'd grown to love were uh, were acting Uh, I started acting at school at a very young age and I loved stories I loved reading I used to devour books when I was at school I would read two or three novels a week I just I loved stories uh, and uh, I was just always thinking about stories and when I became a Christian at the age of 17, the Lord spoke to me through a verse from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. He's, and it's a verse, it's a prayer request that the Apostle Paul puts in towards the end of that letter. It says, pray for me also that whenever I open my lips, words may be given me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And that was, I felt that was what God called me to do. I didn't know what it was going to shape that was going to take. I didn't know what that was going to look like. But those are things that God had put me in, in, in me as a child that I loved doing. I loved acting and being on stage and being in front of people and speaking. And I loved stories. And 40 odd years later, you know, that's what I've done. So, so what are the, the things that you, you're good at? The things that you love doing. Those are the things that God takes and says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use those. I'm going to... As I said last Sunday, repurpose them and use them for God's glory and use you where you are. So God gives us all talents. He gives us all gifts and he puts us in a certain context. And so the prayer that we need to pray is, well, Lord, how do you want to, how do you want to use me on the journey? And the thing with the disciples is that God starts to use them on the journey. Sometimes we think, well, well, when I'm ready, when I feel a bit more ready, uh, th- then I'll, you know, I'll start doing stuff for the Lord. When I feel ready. Uh, and the problem is, uh, you'll never feel ready. If you wait until you feel ready, you'll never start. Uh, Jesus didn't wait until the disciples fe- felt ready to send them out on mission. Didn't, Jesus didn't wait for this moment where Peter realises you are the son of the living God. Uh, they've already been out on mission. Uh, if you look back in the um, uh, beginning of chapter 
Uh, it's 11, isn't it? Chapter 11? No, chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends the disciples out. He sends the apostles out. He called the 12 disciples to him. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And he sends them out. And, um, and that's before they've quite realised who he is. So I hope you're kind of getting this sort of picture that, that the journey of discipleship, it begins very early on. It begins with his, God's calling, Jesus' calling, and then it just it kind of continues for the rest of our lives. And it's as we journey that we discover more and more about who he is. And it's on the journey that he begins to use us, not when we feel ready, uh, but uh, it's, it's on the journey. And so Simon Peter gets to this point of realisation of who Jesus is. And then immediately Jesus stuns them by saying that he's going to suffer and die. So because we're so familiar with this story, we're so familiar with these things, we, we, it's hard to kind of think how, how shocking it was for Simon Peter and the others to hear this. Because I say, they've got in mind this idea that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be a warrior king. And this is so ingrained in Jewish thinking when, at the time of Jesus that that's the only way they're thinking about the Messiah. He's going to be the warrior king who's going to defeat Israel's enemies and establish Israel as, as a sovereign, independent state, as God's kingdom in the world once again. And so when uh, Jesus says to them, uh, Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, immediately they think, yeah, this is, the warrior king has come. And then immediately Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die. It's a bit like, um, I was trying to think of a suitable analogy, and the only thing that came to mind, which is, it's not a brilliant analogy, but it's like your favourite football team, you know, the manager of your, of your football team saying, 100% cast iron guarantee, we're going to win the FA Cup. And you're like, yeah, that's fantastic, we're going to win the FA Cup. And then he says, uh, but we're going to be knocked out in the first round. It's like, it's like two things that just don't, they don't compute to say, 100%, we're going to win the FA Cup, uh, but we're going to be knocked out in the first round. And you're like, well, those two things don't go together. And the, the disciples have just been told, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the one who's going to uh, win this victory that you are longing for, but I'm going to die. And it just doesn't compute. So Simon Peter has this... Um, Wonderful revelation. And then verse 22 of chapter 16, uh, Peter takes Jesus to one side and begins to rebuke him. It's astonishing, isn't it? He's just realised this is the Messiah. And now he starts to rebuke him. He says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Uh, and then Jesus turns to Simon Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. It's, it's, uh, it's just, it's, this whole passage is so shocking. Because they've realised Jesus is the Messiah. And then, shock, Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die. And then, shock, Simon starts rebuking Jesus. And then, shock, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but, but the things of, of men. I mean, talk about a roller coaster. This is what the disciples want. And then, chapter 17, uh, I knew we'd get to the passage I read eventually. 
Uh, there's this transfiguration. So, they've, you know, all these things have happened. And now, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led him up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. So they, they're trying to get this, their heads around this idea that, that Jesus is going to suffer and die. And they're trying to equate that with the fact that Jesus has told them that he is the Messiah. He, he is this king that they've been waiting for, but he doesn't look like he's going to be the warrior king they hoped for. He's going to save them in, in a different way. And uh, I think sometimes we... You know, in in our own lives, we imagine God is going to win the battles that we want won in a particular kind of way. And he he fights them in a different way. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we we have this thing. Yes, Jesus has won a great victory. So in this battle that I'm facing, this is what it's going to look like. And actually, the the victory that Jesus won, it came through suffering and death. And sometimes... The victories that we win come through a season of of suffering. It's not always the way that we would want it to be. So they're trying to get their their heads around this idea that Jesus is going to suffer and die. And now, before they begin that final journey to Jerusalem and see him suffer and die, they're given this glimpse into the reality of Jesus' glory. Uh, The curtain is pulled back. And they see Jesus in all his glory. This is why um, uh, John writes in his gospel, uh, uh, John (coughs) chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Surely when John was writing his gospel, he was thinking about that mountaintop experience of Jesus being transfigured. We've seen his glory. That was exactly uh, what it was like. Uh, uh, um, uh, Peter says the same thing in uh, in one in his first letter. He writes about how they they saw this. Uh, they were with Jesus on the mountain top, and they saw him transformed. They saw his glory, and they heard the voice of God speaking. Uh, he writes um, in two Peter chapter one verse sixteen. Uh, He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So they have this mountaintop experience. There he was transfigured before them. The curtain is pulled back. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. They see Moses and Elijah. Now the extraordinary thing here is that they really see Moses and Elijah with Jesus. These are not um, visions or apparitions. This is not something that they are imagining. This is Moses and Elijah physically there with Jesus. Otherwise, why does Peter say, I will put up three shelters for you? One for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
So that's fairly mind-blowing because uh, Moses has been dead for about 1,400 years and Elijah has been dead for about 900 years and yet here they are on the mountain talking with Jesus and from Luke's Gospel we know that they're talking about uh, the crucifixion. They're talking about Jesus' departure. They're talking about Jesus' exodus. And yet here they are and it's a reminder to us of the reality of the resurrection and how near, how near we are to those who are resurrected. Um, I'll just read a little, um, uh, Joel's reading this book at the moment by um, Brendan Manning. Uh, some of you may have read some of Bren, Bren, uh, Brendan Manning's books and uh, he's written this book called Abba's Child, uh, The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. But he writes in one of the chapters about about the present reality of the resurrection. The present reality of the resurrection. Yes, we look forward in Jesus to to resurrection. We look forward to spending eternity in heaven. But how aware are we of the resurrected Jesus being with us now? So I'll just read this. He writes a couple of um, uh, testimonies from a, a man called Frederick Buchner. Frederick Buchner. And uh, I'll just read this, and uh, as he does, I'll just leave it with you to ponder. But it's, it, it's, it's challenging about the reality of the resurrection. So he writes about a couple of experiences, and the second one is about a dream that he had. Uh, another one was just a dream I'd had of a friend that had recently died. A very undreamlike dream where he was simply standing in the room. And I said, how nice to see you. I've missed you. And he said, yes, I know that. And I said, are you really there? He said, you bet I'm really here. And I said, can you prove it? And he said, of course I can prove it. And he threw me a little bit of blue string, which I caught. It was so real that I woke up. I recounted the dream at breakfast the next morning with my wife and the widow of the man in the dream. And my wife said, my God, I saw that on the rug this morning. And I knew it wasn't there last night. And I ran up and sure enough, there was a little squibble of blue thread. Well, again, either that's nothing, coincidence, Or else it's just a little glimpse of the fact that maybe when we talk about the resurrection of the body, there's something to it. So I'll just leave that with you to to ponder. But um, it makes us think about the reality of physical resurrection, which is so so important because, because the gospel is not just about our spiritual selves, it's about our spiritual selves. That's why Jesus heals the sick because the gospel is not just about a a spiritual salvation it's about a physical salvation that's why it's so important that the word became flesh that's why the physical resurrection of Jesus is vital it's essential to our faith that's why the physical ascension of Jesus into heaven is vital it's an essential doctrine for our faith Jesus you know, I've heard preachers wrestle with the ascension of Jesus because it's, 
it's like, well, where did he go? And I've heard preachers try and just struggle to preach about it because they just don't understand it. It's like, well, well, maybe just dissolved. Or maybe, maybe, the, maybe Luke's writing about something that he just... You know, Jesus physically ascends into heaven because that's... The resurrection is physical. And there's a glimpse of that here because Moses and Elijah are physically present with Jesus and they talk to him about his departure. And that's why Simon says, well, shall we, Simon Peter, shall we build some shelters? He wants to kind of capture the moment. And then this bright cloud envelops them. The voice says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. That's it's what the father says to Jesus at his baptism. And he speaks again. And now the, the poor disciples have gone from, you know, they're on this roller coaster ride. They're suddenly in this glorious moment of seeing Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And now God speaks to them and they fall face down to the ground, terrified. Because God is speaking to them. And then Jesus comes and touches them. And he says, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. So this journey of discipleship, it's, it is a roller coaster ride. And when I look back at my discipleship of following Jesus for 40 odd years, it's been a roller coaster ride. And on the journey, we discover more and more and more about who Jesus is. And on the journey, Jesus uses us more and more. He takes the things, the gifts that he's given us, and he uses them for his glory. And on the journey, we have these extraordinary moments of revelation where we suddenly understand things that we've never seen before. And then we have moments where we, we don't understand things. And we have moments of intimacy with the Lord where we feel so close to him. It's as if he's in the room and then we have moments where he seems a million miles away. And that's just the journey of discipleship. And you would think that Simon Peter, having had this experience, this mountaintop experience of having seen Jesus in all his glory, of having seen Moses and Elijah physically there talking with Jesus, having heard the voice of God, you would think he never had another doubt in the rest of his, in the rest of his life. You would think he'd be the perfect disciple. You'd think he'd be walking six inches above the earth. You'd just be floating and they'd never make another mistake. But we know that's not true. In a very short period of time, this same Simon will be denying that he ever knew who Jesus was. At Jesus' moment of greatest need, when all his friends who desert him, his closest friend, Simon Peter, says to those who've arrested and put Jesus on trial, he says, I don't know who you're talking about. I never met the man. How, how does that equate? But it does. And that's the journey of discipleship as well. And it's, it's so encouraging because I, in my life, I've had moments where I have seen unmistakably the hand of God, either because I've prayed for someone and, and they've been healed or there's been a, a need and God has miraculously provided. And you have those moments and you just know but there's no way that thing happened apart from God. And your faith is like, you know, it's like 100%. It's like absolutely full. And you think, wow, I'll never doubt God again. Uh, until five minutes later, when something happens and you're like, oh. 
or you're put in a situation and you and you well I'm a bit embarrassed to be known as a Christian or I'm a bit embarrassed to talk about my faith or you give an opportunity to pray for someone and you're like oh but what if nothing happens and you shrink back and the thing that I love about the disciples and particularly Simon Peter is is he's just like us he's just like us he makes mistakes he gets things wrong but his heart is for the Lord. His heart is for the Lord. Because his life has been changed by this encounter with Jesus. And even though he makes so many mistakes, even though he denies Jesus in his moment of greatest need, he loves Jesus and his heart is for him. And as we look back over our lives, those of us that are following Jesus, we'll have, had, we'll have moments where we have felt so close to Jesus, it was like he was in the room and we thought, we'll never doubt him again. And then we have moments where we feel we've really, we've let him down. And we're like, oh, why? Why can't I, why can't I just do it well all the time? The reality is we can't. But Jesus still calls us. And when we mess up, he forgives us. He takes what he's given us and he repurposes us for the kingdom of God. And he uses us to build his kingdom. He uses us to build his church. So may we be encouraged in our discipleship. Just to say, Lord, we love you. We love you because you died for us. We love you because you came to give us life in all its fullness. And we can't do any of it without you. We just need you by our side. And that's where you promised to be. So let's take a moment to uh, just to reflect and to to pray. And perhaps we we need to hear from the Lord this morning a word of of encouragement. Perhaps we feel we've we've let the Lord down. We've missed an opportunity to tell others about Him, and and we're just kicking ourselves and wishing. Oh, I wish I'd said something. And the Lord says, I love you. I still love you. Uh, Let's start from here. Uh, Maybe we need to hear a word of encouragement and, and challenge that the Lord uses people like us to build his kingdom. He uses people who make mistakes and mess up. He doesn't look for the finished article When it comes to discipleship, he looks for the willing article. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning, by your Holy Spirit, whether we're uh, here in the building or watching online, you would stir our hearts, you'd encourage us, Challenge us, equip us, fill us afresh with your presence. And use us for your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen.